0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Third Deck Lounge podcast. Today I'm talking with Joe Leach and Sam Hooper. Joe Leach was a O352 with weapons company Cat 1 from 2016 to 2020. And Sam Hooper it was a 0331 with weapons company Cat 1 from 2015 to 2019. And both were part of 36's deployment with 24th Mew. And we're part of Task Force 9.7 in Syria during uh, Operation Inherent Resolve which is actually what we're going to be talking about today. So, guys, thank you for your time, and uh, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks
1: for having me.
2: Yeah, we're, man,
1: thanks for having us.
0: Where I kind of want to start with is uh, where are you guys originally from? Joe, you want to go first?
2: Sure. Um, I grew up in Rochester, New York, uh, upstate New York, in between Buffalo and Albany. Uh, graduated high school in 2015. I did, like, a small stint in the college before – joining the Marine Corps in 2016 uh, and went to boot camp in July of that year. So I'm from Perrysburg,
1: Ohio, which is in a little town outside of uh, Toledo, Ohio, which is in Northwest Ohio. Uh, I graduated high school in 2015, um, left for boot camp like three weeks after that. Um, When, you know, East Coast, Paris Island, got done with that, went to three six after SOI, was a machine gunner. Joe was a 0352. Yeah, did two deployments and got out with the college.
0: Nice. And then uh how did you guys I mean, end up uh what what were the reasons why you guys joined uh, the Marine Corps?
2: Sam, go ahead. Cuz mine is uh, my well, story. I joined
1: cuz I just wanted to go to go to combat like most young kids who play Call of Duty growing up and are impressionable and uh you know, I wanted to go see the world, wanted to do something cool, wanted to stop being a pussy. Um, so, yeah, just the Marine Corps really grabbed me. The the whole warrior culture, the whole, you know, stick of the Marine Corps really was just what I gravitated towards. And uh, definitely didn't want to go to college, wasn't the best student. But, you know, it was partly because I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go do that. And, yeah, happy I went and did it.
2: Um, I joined the Marine Corps after flunking out of college and smoking some pot with my friends. I drove past the recruiter's office heading towards my father's house and I decided to go inside. I don't, I don't know what drove me to do infantry or why I ended up with three six in like the first place. Cause I'm sure if they sold me another job, I probably would have done that too. But, uh, I'm definitely grateful for everything that I went through for it. <clears throat> So
0: yeah, Kinda nice. And then, happened. did you guys hit the fleet together, or did you guys come separately?
1: A little before me. Nah, I was um like the second boot drop in the workup. I got in probably what Joe like six months before you. Maybe no, maybe yeah. a little bit less. Probably maybe four months. Joe was one of the last ones yeah. to uh come before we deployed. Um, yeah. So I was yeah boot machine gunner for about a year of my first enlistment. Um, with cat. Yeah. We were with cat the majority of the time or the entire time I was in three six and yeah, Joe got in, he's an O three fifty two, So we were kind of separate for a little bit, but yeah, they integrated cat or heavy guns and, and uh missile pretty, pretty quickly into the deployment. So he got to see the tail end of it, got to deal with a little less of the bullshit of being a boot, but you know, he got his fair taste.
2: I'm we, sure. uh, my boot drop kind of kind of got that for a little bit. There was like eight of us that all showed up at once. And then once that happened and they split the platoons from Cat 1 and Cat 2, instead of just being like uh, heavy guns and anti-armor teams, um, we were already rolling and getting ready to go on deployment. So it wasn't like they had the, all the time on their hands like they did with the other peer groups. Or I guess the other earlier drops.
0: Uh, oh, gotcha, yep. and then so you guys joined in kind of or you guys came kind of in the middle of the, the workup.
2: Sam was well, like I, early, yeah, and I was like, late. I was pretty early. Uh, oh, yeah, gotcha, Joe was gotcha.
0: definitely
1: the last boot drop for sure. I think one of the last, if not the last, like, and... like, I'll
2: say that this so we hit the fleet, like, my the eight guys that came to me and with me into that boot drop, we hit the fleet in September, and then like that deployment was kicking January of the next year.
0: So, yeah, oh gotcha gotcha and what were you guys doing for the uh the workup how was that um uh,
2: for the most part from when i showed up it was what we went to virginia for uh yeah like a little stint like a week long but it was past like the ITX stint. it was past We just did ship ops from that point. It was like literally one stint in Virginia and then a couple of ship ops and we were on deployment. And what would you guys do for
0: ship? Oh, sorry, what were you saying? Ship ops.
2: Like we basically practiced going on the ship. It was like a week long where you'd hop on ship and pretend you were a Marine on ship, which I mean, you don't really do much.
0: Oh, gotcha. Yeah,
2: and um, we went. The earlier jobs
1: we didn't do uh I, like traditional itx since we were going on a mu type deal we did wti which is where you go to yuma instead of uh 29 palms we did a little bit but i think we did like two weeks in 29 palms but most of it was spent in yuma arizona yeah we like to uh we love to like flex on the <laughs> on the newer boot drops that uh we were salty as fuck because we went to yuma we always that was like a running meme in the platoon that Anyone past Yuma was just a boot, but, I mean, we were all boots, like, when you realize in the grand scheme of things. But, yeah, I mean, we did – after Yuma, we did a short, like, two-week op in Georgia where we, like, um, inserted the, uh, you know, helicopters and shit and just sat in the defense, like, cold Georgia for a little bit. Um, Besides that, yeah, we went to Fort Pickett, like Joe said. you know, we were in the field every other week, just normal workup shit wasn't too crazy. We didn't know we were going to Syria until a month and a half into the deployment when we got done with Israel for our first stop. We thought we were just going to do another, you know, a little float, you know, it'd be a couple mu Babies, and uh, it turned out to not be that way.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you so when you guys did leave, what was originally where all you were going to end up going? Uh, was it just through the Mediterranean?
1: Yeah, we were hitting the
2: med. I um, think it was a Westpac.
1: I'm not too sure, but. Uh, it should have
2: been Israel, Greece, like Spain. They went to Africa. On the yeah. Back. That's what the rest of the Mew did after we got off. Since we yeah, we started, can... like A task force, we departed from the unit. It was a combination yeah. of our unit and other units.
1: We completely out. detached from the Mew after we got the word we were going to Syria. So our first stop was in Israel, uh, Haifa where we got a little bit of Libo and also trained with the IDF. How long were we out there, Joe?
2: The whole time. 3 was weeks? Ten, 10 days.
1: 10 days? That's okay. sick ten days though. Out
2: in the field with the IDF, yeah. Yeah, well, we were in the, the field
1: for 10 days, but then we got some then we got some Libo at the end too.
0: Was that close <clears> to like the uh well actually no, Israel's pretty small. So so were you guys able to go and check out like some pretty cool spots or anything or
1: Yeah, a couple think... guys went to I Jerusalem.
0: Like... Yeah, yeah they they that's come... sick. Trip.
1: Yeah, a couple of guys got to, got to go see the Wailing Wall. Got to go see Jesus' tomb. You can get rocks stone at them and shit and yell at for being American. Oh, really? That's probably that happened? a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I think a few of them did when they saw that they were rolling up in a bus. Some
0: really? Some guys got,
1: pel- got hit with rocks and told him to get out of there, but huh, nothing was, too crazy.
0: I thought they were pretty friendly towards Americans.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe on that side, when you get that close to the such a sacred ground, I don't know. Maybe they don't like it too much, but I don't know. That's yeah. usually how it goes sometimes over there, but yeah. After Israel, uh, we got the word in Israel from our gunny. Uh, it was it was a pretty cool experience. We just got done. We were about to get back on ship, and our gunny comes up to us while we're in the port, and he's like, "Hey guys, like check it out. Like I just got word. You know, it's it's not for sure. It's like a ninety percent thing right now. But we're about to go do some hood rat shit in Syria, and you know, we were absolutely fucking pumped. Obviously, like we just got told Santa was real or something like that. <laughs> and we fucking get back on ship, had a little, like we had no idea what the hell was coming our way. Um, just really anticipating going to do what we were training for. And, um, you know, it was an interesting experience, but it wasn't what we thought it was going to be for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, what you that. guys
0: were feeling uh, so when, when that happened, when they told you,
2: I, I, I got a good point for this. Cause like, that's when, when Gunny did that, like, well, you know Gunny Black, and I'm sure you've talked to him about him before on your podcast, but, like, that's when it kicked in. That's, like, when he went from, like, all right, we can go on this booze cruise and live ports to, all right, we're going to, like, actually go do our jobs, and we don't know what we're going to expect, and we might actually lose some people. So, it went from, like, the booze cruise to, by the time Locking we wait, we didn't fucking sleep, man. Like, it was, like, yeah. 14 Ooh. days straight.
1: And
0: what were you guys yeah, doing? Yeah, we were
1: to uh uh in kuwait well sir so first we went from israel to greece we linked up with the arty. so our tasks and um we should establish this yes so it doesn't get confused our task in uh syria was to protect uh fox battery um which was some arty guys that was on our mute that was our whole purpose because you know arty pogues i mean there there are some great dudes man i love arty guys they can't really, you know, work machine guns too well. I mean, I saw that firsthand out there and they, you know, they did the best they could, but they definitely needed some grunts out there to make sure that they weren't, you know, unsafe in the defense and in their uh, formations. So, you know, our task is to go out there and protect them the entire time. And originally it was just one cap platoon that was going to go out there and do it. Uh, Cat one, but, you know, as, it developed we found out cat 2 was also coming out and snipers was coming out with us so we kind of uh gathered a little group as time went on um but so we got done with israel got back on the ship they took us over to greece we literally i mean when we got to greece we were fucking hanging out dude we were like getting drunk and shit on base it was the it was the last hoorah yeah it was the last like man we get this is like our last little party we had a buddy turn 21 so we were drinking and got it i mean our our staff ncos bought us beer and shit it was it was a fucking good time we were obviously pting and shit but like once we got to kuwait that's when shit really kicked off and so we flew from greece to kuwait we went to uh buring uh first and yeah we were just doing a lot of convoy ops man you know fucking out in the field shooting the marge, shooting jabs. I don't think we shot a saber out there because we weren't even going to take the saber system. Um,
2: it's a lot of, like, wide flyer. Yeah. Tons of we're convoy ops. Do.
1: We originally thought we were going to go out there and do um, – like, it was going to be one platoon. Half was going to be at the, the already based uh, the position area of artillery, the PAA. Half of us are going to be out there, and the other half, we're going to be running resupply ops and doing convoy security for the uh, for the resupply of the position. And, you know, it turned out CAT2 uh, was going to be doing the the route reconnaissance. Well, not really the route reconnaissance, just the convoy security and uh, the resupplies. And we were going to be uh, out at the PA the entire time. And that's how it ended up, too. Um, so we were fucking living in dirt holes out there for the entire time and we would get some we got r and r what joe like twice out of what four months yeah, of being like, out there
2: yeah cinco de mayo we landed we landed in kuwait cinco de mayo that's when it happened we like started to get our roes it was the first time that we heard about ISIS using drones for like counter-offensive and dropping grenades on people um we had a convoy heading out the next morning we got given live rounds uh, I know we got, like, maybe an hour or two of sleep when we woke up very early for this convoy and, like, just got the vehicles that we were going to be given for the entire deployment, like the MRAPs and V's that we were just trained on in Kuwait because we never touched them before. And then uh, we go on that first convoy, and I'm not sure if that was the entire platoon that went out at once, but I know this first convoy, like, we hit a toe pop or, like, off the rip two hours into it.
0: What, was, yeah, this you, was, like, was this when you – was this when you – when you guys got to Syria or when you were – Yeah, he's, okay. he's talking
1: about – so let me just yeah. clarify. So we did a month in Buring, right? Okay, we did those live fire trainings you were talking about. We did those convoy ops. And then after that month, we flew from Kuwait to Syria. And uh, I should clarify: while we were in Kuwait, we had little to no word of what exactly how we were going to get there and what we were going to be doing there. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys that
0: what you guys were uh, told.
1: So, when we were getting trained in Kuwait and getting briefed and all this shit, yeah, they were saying there was in Syria, like tens of thousands of IEDs, whether they're legacy IEDs or planted during the conflict. Um you know, what they were going to, you know, there was just tons of them. And also that they were just, this is just the beginning of drone warfare. So they were briefing us on drones, like, you know, the videos you see today and like the Ukraine of them uh, dropping 40 mic mic and hand grenades on top of guys and holes. That's, you know, this conflict that we were in was really where this technology was first being implemented. We got to see the first drone defenders, which is like this giant fuck off future technology looking backpack gun that can like scramble the drone's radar we got to take a look at that it was still brand new technology not reliable whatsoever um so that was we were just like expecting to just get absolutely dunked on um going out there but so yeah like joe was saying we got briefed on all this shit and we originally thought that we were going to drive from like a base in iraq or I, i think it was iraq through to syria but that was just bum scoop like you know deployment rumors go and it was just so much information coming out at us rapid pace that it was hard to discern what was real and what was like fake word but what it turns out was we flew out from kuwait um to a uh base out in syria and um landed like joe was saying we got our live rounds we got our initial brief when we got there i remember when we first got there when we landed i mean it was I think on the on the on the way in and the bird, we I think we were taking some form of fire from the ground because they were popping flares like crazy. Uh, We never really got clarified on that coming in uh, completely dark. I just remember getting off the bird and like the way it smelled. It was just such a bizarre and real and like surreal um, experience to just like when we put your boots first on the ground, stepping off the plane, you're like, wow, like. We're really in a combat zone. We're really in, you know, we could get seriously injured or killed out here. Like, we don't know what's in store for us. We just kind of got to roll with the punches. But, you know, we were thrust into a tent, given a brief that we didn't understand, put into tents with life ammunition. We loaded our magazines. We uh, got a couple hours of sleep. The, the last AC we were going to be feeling for uh, who knows how long initially. And um, then we were put in convoys with, who did we rip out? I think it was, I, was uh, the same. I think it was, uh, Fuck. I think it was like 7th. Was it 7th?
2: It was a California. It was either 7th or 5th.
1: Yeah, I think it was 1-7. So we ripped out 1-7 and, you know, the 1-7 guys. Uh I remember their cat platoon was super disgruntled when we were there. Their convoy commander was a dickhead, giving us our brief like he uh he didn't want to be there. And we were just like, damn, these guys are not having a good time. But they were only there uh, for like what, a
2: month, yeah. right? before we showed up? Yeah, they
1: were yeah. So they were the first ones there, uh, from uh a detachment from the Marine Corps and those are the guys that built most of the bases that we were uh, with, so those guys were grinding out there for a month with uh, engineers build it, like filling sandbags and fucking establishing two bases in Syria um, that were going to be used as logistics bases and just home bases that were kind of away from, you know, the front, as you could say. Um, us at the PAA, we were going to be positioned at the most forward artillery position in the entire country. Away from a few bases. And what we were going to be doing there was we were going to be shooting and moving. So we were going to be initially set up um, at a position uh, so that Artie could do their fires on whatever mission they had to do, stay there for a few days, maybe even a week or two, pick up, move to a new position, rinse, repeat uh, until the deployment ended. Didn't end up being like that. It was like that for a little bit um, until we uh, did our initial push onto Raqqa. Uh, for the ypg um, which is where that we set up a position area of artillery that lasted about two and a half months stationary and just doing consecutive fires uh, for a long period of time on one position because it was such a critical position a lot of people not don't know about like the conflict that happened over there they don't really know uh, for good reason i guess because it was kind of like a proxy war we could get a little bit more into like the specifics of the whole skirmish between the Kurdish and, the, um, you know, and Assad's forces and ISIS. Yeah. And uh, we could get into that later on, which is, it's a little complicated, but.
0: Yeah, that, that whole um, situation kind of started back in 2014 and became just a huge yeah. mess of all these different factions, kind of all fighting for power in uh, Syria, basically exactly. to sum it up.
1: Exactly, 100% um so when back to ripping these guys out so we ripped these dudes out and i remember rolling up we took like a six hour convoy in that initial convoy that we were talking about when we first landed and um we got to this position i remember seeing the artillerymen in their in their uh firing lines dude like these guys were fucking shooting already with no kit on green on green ripped camis just fucking covered in dust these guys have been slinging rounds for like basically a month straight and then we rolled up we had a few of the bond guys go there that were uh some ncos and they had been there for about a week in advance and we rolled up on these guys and you know i don't want to talk to one seven's characters but all these guys were disgruntled man i mean they had been out in the sun fucking you know shitting in bags and you know just in shitty conditions baking out there and they were happy for us to rip them out for sure. But
0: no, oh, you know, yeah. they were, uh, there
1: were some cool guys. They were interesting dudes for sure. And then once we ripped them out, man, that's when it really started. And especially the first two months, it was a fucking, it was a nonstop go, man. We were fucking, once we got to our final position, we were able to kind of like recollect and get into a rhythm. But in that first two months we were just, just, uh, sucking and fucking out there for sure.
0: And so so to kind of do this to the, um, what was I going to say? So to kind of get a little more chronologically, like, so you guys yeah. left off from that one base that you landed at. And then where initially yeah. were you guys going to?
1: We went to that uh, first, first position of air artillery. Outside so of top yeah, we were outside the wire. It was outside. Yeah. So it was this top Kadam. So that's the, the first target of the artillery was at this, dam um and uh it was just they weren't really showing the dam they were showing the outside adjacent areas because it was just riddled with dudes and
0: right.
1: um, yeah so we stayed there for about a week and a half maybe two weeks and, and this was all in, like
0: uh, over time moving towards Raqqa.
1: yes exactly yeah. our, our end game was Raqqa. we okay. stopped in one other area after this so we went from topka And then we moved on through Ionisa, which was uh, a large, like a city kind of, but it was YPG occupied Um, after the showing of the-
2: Refugee camps were all located. It was one of the largest areas that they took back after ISIS came running through. Yeah. Yeah,
1: So we stayed there. Yeah. And we got to, we got to go to a resupply nearby that- um, that Topka Dam after it was done shelling. Um, I re- so some highlights of that initial part was, I remember, uh, we were in the, it was like maybe the fifth day of that second artillery position after we moved from the Topka position. I forget who we were shelling. I don't think they really specified, but I remember getting woken up in the middle of the night in the, my oh, hole for my, um, I was in my Lieutenant's truck at the time. Uh, we got moved around every now and then. Um, and, uh, my lieutenant wakes me up in my hole and is like, Cooper, I need you to go to every single truck on the position. And I need you to tell them that we have Russian UAS over us right now. And I need you to get them on watch right now. We're in stand two. And I was like, damn, we got Russians over us right now. Yeah. Like, what is going on in this conflict that we are being monitored by Russians? And I guess there was like a Russian drone high up that was just giving us a look-see, but it really gave us like a, uh, A perspective of the amount of um different factions that were out yeah and the the precedent for understanding if we needed to get into a gunfight who we were getting into a gunfight too or else you know we could we could have sparked an international incident and
0: it was fucking definitely interesting because i'm sure everybody's kind of seen those videos were or not seen the videos of uh army dudes in syria running into russians and shit yeah yeah and they'd be like, like talking the, it up yeah russians.
1: yeah the yeah. russians and like the the marines fucking racing on the road and shit like yeah, that yeah
0: and they have these little like yeah. uh, show-offs trying to get each other to like fuck off exactly. out of an area and uh, yeah. basically because for anybody that doesn't really know too much about what's been going on in syria basically i mean i guess you could consider it a proxy war between russia and in the u.s because the yeah. U.S. has uh, factions that it's backing and arming and training, but the Russians also have those same factions. But within the mix, there's also been uh, terrorist cells popping up. Just And it's just like a huge mess of just all these different factions that are like fighting each other, sometimes fighting with each other, and then other times turning right. on each other. And everybody's uh, basically, they've all been fighting for power since the Civil War in 2014 started um against Assad the uh the president of Syria and yeah. um yeah basically it's just it kind of just around the time frame that you guys were there it was just a complete mess it just devolved and devolved and devolved with like no solution yeah. in sight and then um yeah, I think I've seen maps before, like detailing the uh, different factions and the areas they hold, and it's like all these different colors representing these factions, and it's like it's insane. It's like what the fuck? Everybody's like fighting each other there. There's like, <laughs> there isn't just two sides. There's like six, seven.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And the best way I like to describe it to people is like, so Russia was backing Al Assad, and they were on the north of, let's say, Raqqa, okay, and then the U.S. is backing the Yiddish Peshmerga, the YPG, and the YPJ, who are Kurdish freedom fighters, anti-fascists, communists in origin, believe it or not. And um, we were supporting them, and ISIS was just in the middle of this, and we were both trying to get rid of them, uh, but not trying to interfere with the others. But we also didn't want the others there. I think that's the best way. And there was obviously other... um, I you know not necessarily ISIS. Um, they were definitely the most prominent, but there was other you know terrorist factions that were in the and this in the was, mix of everything.
0: Yeah, and this was also the time frame because I forgot about this. This was also the time frame that ISIS had steamrolled Iraq and was rolling into Syria now and establishing like a caliphate. Uh, yeah. Like and yeah, that I remember. That's when they started getting a lot more involved in Syria to like and Iraq to get rid of these motherfuckers and uh kind of get it back to what it, where it was to begin with.
1: Yeah, it was, um they're definitely trying to establish that one caliphate and we would see ISIS sympathizers when we would go on these convoys that would uh motion to us and give us their little hand gesture, their hand gestures. Like it's like, they're holding up the the number one, like an okay sign, but just the one up. And when we would see that, I mean, we would be like, dude, like these people are, in the mix of us like they're they're all around you know and then we would also see the majority of it was ypg sympathizers and you got it man the kurds those guys are fucking those guys are warriors dude those guys were truly fighting for their freedom and for their sovereignty and you got to give the kurds regardless of their politics i mean those guys they were uh warriors for sure through and through and just good dudes overall yeah. they helped us out they helped us out a lot they would give us resupply. They'd bring us, like, foot bread and shit and, like, chicken and cigarettes. We, would, we smoked an insane amount of cigarettes out there. It was oh, disgusting. Really yeah, oh, my God. They were terrible <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah, just if like anyone local knows, cigarettes? Yeah, so the British were giving us cigarettes. They were supplying, and it was local cigarettes. But they were Arden's. If anybody's been to Syria, they know about the Arden's. They know about the Actamars. They're, like, ultra super lights. It's basically, like, smoke and air. But, man, we would suck those things down any chance we got. But I wanna, it was cool.
2: I want to mention the one thing with the resupplying with the YPJ, too. Um, the first time they brought us food, it was like chicken and vegetables, okay? Oh, yeah. Like the whole entire place. It's probably been like a few weeks by now that we've all been sitting in the desert, chitting in wag bags, sleeping in holes, eating MREs. And they bring us – it's like chicken and fries and vegetables. And we all stuff our faces and eat this stuff. Come to find out, the vegetables—they wash them in like shit water. Oh, no, jeez, it's, it's it's contaminated water. At least to us, we don't yeah. have the but, gut biome. Yeah,
1: so. and they use you know it's Syria. They're not using any preservatives. Yeah. They're not using any you know disinfectants of any kind right. for their crops. So no, it's just raw veggies, and our pussy white boy stomachs were not yeah. American stomachs were not ready for it, dude. So many how. So many dudes, I I remember, so we had um, a JTAC out there that was in my truck, and that dude had VGE for, damn, I swear the entire deployment, like two months, like this guy lost probably 20 pounds just diarrhea every day this dude would have to run i remember we had to stop a few convoys cuz dudes were fucking having to about the shit themselves really and, it, was, it was literally yeah. really bad with dysentery i mean it, it just, was terrible yeah every
2: time you had something go in it just came out immediately out jeez, oh, it was fucking brutal yeah yeah but, that
0: sounds brutal well, no okay, so
1: only guts yeah <laughs> now we have a of for stomachs um okay so we got done with that top to damn shooting now let's get to, like, the meat and potatoes. We were in – we got to Raqqa. We were about, what, 10, 15 kilometers from Raqqa, right?
0: Could you guys see you it know? or no? Yeah,
1: it, we, could I, we could see it
0: in the distance.
1: We could see in the distance. We could see the smoke bellowing from, you know, the the yeah. out uh, buildings. It, it, was, it was within sight. It wasn't anywhere to where it would take less than 30 minutes to get to us, though. Right. Um, but we could see, I mean, we could see all the fires that were hitting. And, um,
0: and it was an ISIS so stronghold, get, right? At the time. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, Raqqa was the centerpiece of ISIS. It was the biggest ISIS stronghold. Think of it as New York to ISIS, you know, like,
2: right.
1: yeah. um, it was the ISIS and,
2: capital. Yeah, right.
1: Sure. And we, yeah. So we were a part when we got there. We started our initial fires, and these already dudes were, I mean, these guys were doing when they weren't shooting a loom, which was a minute like of what they were doing the majority of the time. And they were, they were doing um, they were shooting shake and bakes, fucking H E R E G R P rocket, rocket assisted H E one five yeah. well, five shells. Yeah. Well, not all charge fives. They, they weren't all charged. We definitely shot some charge fives, but a lot of them. So our main mission, besides supporting the YPG that already were doing like three major things they were doing, you know, obviously targets, and then we were doing um terrain denial where the RD would, you know, shoot specific areas to where ISIS could gain a um you know a strong, a foothold and position. And then we were doing supporting fire for SOF that was out there, uh Berets, um SAS, you know, I mean all of NATO SOF was out there at the time. And yeah. um yeah, so the, the main thing Artie was doing out there, man, at night, these guys – and I would go up there at times because these guys were shooting so much. They, When I wasn't on watch, I would go up there and help these guys shoot as much as I could just because it was fun. The Artie guys were really cool. It was a different, like, uh, world, you know, another tool in the toolbox type shit. And these guys, these Artie dudes were doing, like, a loom missions all night because ISIS was just afraid of a uh, loom rounds. So afraid. They thought we were, like – they was, like, God or something like that huh. and um <laughs> so these guys would hide and you know the berets would take advantage of it and um so they were doing i mean one round every three minutes for eight eight nine hours you know so these guys can't sleep right um they were sleeping through charge three charge four shellings and you know, I know a lot of arty guys that got severe TBI, bloody noses, bloody ears. They yes, didn't have constant we, rounds. Yeah. No Peltors out there at the time. Oh, geez. No electronic air pro yeah. whatsoever. Just, you know, little fucking cigarette butts and uh, the, the cheap little orange ones that we would get.
0: So all you guys um, were uh, basically like discount artillery dudes?
1: I mean, the major- the guys who wanted to do it. I was definitely, I think... I I remember I heard in the beginning of deployment, they're like, if you're an infantry guy and you go out there and you shoot a thousand rounds, you get a NAM. And I'm like, dude, it's fun. Why not? (laughs) Like, fuck it. I'm going to go up there. I'll sleep with these dudes. I don't care, man. Like, I'll fucking go up there and sling lead with these guys. These guys are really cool. It's actually doing something, too. Can you talk
2: about the firing of your first round, Sam?
1: Oh, getting the uh getting your cherry pop?
0: Oh yeah. yeah Isn't there yeah. a whole little thing to that? The it's yeah. like a firing cap and and everything.
1: Yeah, so you gotta do every single position. There's five positions on the gun. Uh you gotta be the one man who slings the round onto the tray. You gotta do the two men who I believe is the man who uh you know runs the pole and puts the round into the bat into the uh, chamber. You don't do the three man's job, he's the most important. He's the guy who puts the charges into the uh, into the chamber itself. And that's a very um, you know, not not only dangerous job, but also important job because if you the, get the, the charge wrong, you can hit yeah. friendly. Yeah. And then the four man, um see what he did. But the fifth man's the guy who pulls a string. And after you do that, you gotta take a shot of the swab water. Oh, the swab, that's what he does. The dude who swabs yeah. it as the, the four man. You take a shot of the swab water, which is just carbon from the gun, oh, and then, um, and then the already dudes just basically go to town on you and just kind of kick your ass for a little bit. But it's all a good. Time, obviously, <laughs> yeah. we're not
2: talking hazing here. It's something you know, that happened to cool. all of them. It was one of the things of course. that you know happens. in the it first was an time honor. You pull your arty. Right. Yeah. yeah no, that's
0: sweet. That's fucking cool. You know what's crazy yeah. too? Uh, anybody that's listening to this after you listen to this podcast, you should go and listen to the Eddie, Eddie Gallagher story um from the sean ryan show because uh the the i think while you guys were there his whole story was playing out too he was in in rocka because i remember never no it yeah know that. yeah he was there Damn. that whole thing was and he was uh, a soft dude yeah he was the navy seal that got accused of uh m- oh, like yeah. murdering the uh yeah. the teenager there right, and uh had the whole the whole court thing everything but, yeah. uh, yeah, Trump, he talks Trump about,
1: or something, right? yeah, yeah, his lawyer got in. him
0: out of it. But, um, yeah. yeah, he talks about how like they were in the city with all these Syrians and shit and they were, uh, like all the things they were running around and doing. So that was all happening at the same time. So it, it's kind of a cool story to hear actually.
1: Dude, funny you say that. So one of the coolest things we did out there was, um, we did a route reconnaissance with, um, some team guys. And uh, these guys were high-up team guys. I don't know if they were Delta. I don't know any of that. I just know these guys were, like, like really, you know, trusted high-up team guys. And um, so we were doing a route reconnaissance for the position in Raqqa. So this was after our second position. And Cat 2 came out to relieve us, which I'll tell you in a second what happened while we were out doing this route reconnaissance. But so... We go to their uh, little soft base, which is in like a, you know, a town closest to Raka, not as close as the PAA. So it was like a little bit safer. And um, we go out there and man, these guys were the most squared away human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. One, they were all like six three, six five, except a few of them. Uh, just Viking beards, um, <laughs> yoked out of their fucking mind. Their hair looked like they were homeless, though. But they had like it looks like they put beard oil in their in their beards. It was even the black dudes had like glorious beards that looked really? like white guys it, it was crazy. Yeah, and um, you know we got the we got to hang out with those guys for a little bit uh, while they did their route reconnaissance. A few of them went out. A few of them stayed back. They took our lieutenant and our gunny did the route reconnaissance uh while well, we hung out with them at back and man these guys were they had the setup man they had barbell racks they had um you know they had their phones and we didn't have our phones the entire time we were out there they had first
2: strike, first strike um they MREs. Had and
1: shit. yeah they had really nice mres they had british mres and i don't know if you ever had a british mre but man they make our mres look like uh more dog water than they already are
0: jesus <laughs> it was uh
1: that was a really really cool experience um yeah and then we dipped out and went to that position. So the soft guys were really really cool, man. No, nah, that's sick. It was, inter- it, it was interesting.
0: So how long mm-hmm. were you guys at that position just shooting uh from where you were shooting the loom rounds and then I guess did you guys transition at some point to actually like shelling the city because I've never oh, well, seen we pictures doing, oh, and shit. Like that place night. was destroyed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so day we would do the sh- um, we would do HE rp that was the main thing we were doing during the day all day um and then when night hit that's when the loom rounds were going we wasn't we were not just shooting a loom. we were shooting the whole. we shot oh four, okay we yeah we shot four of those um god it's the word is forgetting um it's like a what kind of round is it joe you know the one that goes straight up in the air it's not a it's like these very rare rounds. So I've, uh, I'm gonna Are they the, like the words escaping guided me, ones. The, yeah, like super exactly. Super high tech ones. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We shot four of those, which is like the most that have ever been shot really? in combat. Um, oh, Excalibur rounds. That's what they're called. Excal oh, rounds. Wow. Okay. So what they this is crazy. What they do is they angle the the gun, the the arty uh, gun, straight into the air, and then they wait for a satellite to come into orbit. And, um, once the satellite's in the right orbit, they shoot one round and it's like a fucking like laser. It's like blue, it's got a blue streak on it and he just shoots, it goes whoa, 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 straight into the air. And then you can watch it go straight up. And then the satellite picks the round up and just goes to its destination. And oh. I think that shit could hit like a 10 meter hole in a like a fucking window from like, God, I think like 30 clicks away. Insane. It is like, we only... yeah, it is like yeah. a
2: 10 digit grid from crazy yeah
1: insane and um we got to shoot like four of those and that's uh, insane it was it was gnarly so yeah we were doing that during the day a missions at night and we were at that position for about two and a half months i say out of the total of four-ish five-ish we were there um i'm pretty sure and yeah that's when all the shenanigans went down i mean um well let's tell this story joe uh remember when neller neller came out
2: yeah, so yeah. We, we're we at this final position for, I mean, at this point, it's probably been two months. We're winding down. We know we're getting sent home at some point. Like, word's coming down. Someone's getting sent to rip with us. Um, and then we get told that the Commandant of the Marine Corps is coming to the PAA, like the position we've been firing these rounds from, providing security for Artie. So they, the dog and pony show shows up, you know? Mm-hmm. And we, I, dude, I shit you not. We are police calling our fields of fire. <laughs> yeah, dude. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> they take a 15 man group, full kit, full rounds, while people are still sitting in their guns. And we walk outside in the fields of fire and are picking up trash and shit. And, dude, it was all fucking day long we did yeah. this.
1: And I, th- it was, keep going. I'm sorry.
2: If you think belligerency, like in the fleet of the Marine Corps, is bad, imagine doing that shit and how crazy we were getting because just of what we were doing.
1: I know a lot of dudes in that moment gave up all hope. I mean, it just, that just, that just encompasses in total the entire dichotomy of the Marine Corps. You know, like you're in a foreign land, you're doing hood rat shit, you know, you're fucking doing to the enemy and then at the same time you're getting butt fucked by the command for absolutely no reason doing the worst most meaning stupid shit for no reason that's unsafe and yeah, i was gonna say that's what saying yeah oh, destroy troop readiness i mean we were out in the open i was a part of that police call unit too
0: yeah
1: it was and it was we had to do an entire lap around the whole position and um we were just in the open, just in the open, you know, just, just waiting, just begging for something to fucking come out of nowhere and put us out of our misery. But it was, uh, that definitely killed some dudes vibes. Um, and there was a f- ton of shit, you know, what's up.
0: Uh, I was going to say, and how far into the deployment was that when you guys, when that started to happen? We were,
1: so you got to understand we were, I mean, we were basically, we got two days of R&R throughout the whole time. We were um, sleeping in holes and eating our marie shitting in bags and standing post and doing like every now and then we might do like an insert, like we would insert snipers into a new hide, Um, maybe do some route reconnaissance every now and then um, once we got to this position. But man, we were just getting fried from the sun. It was 110, 115 out there, dry heat. We got cami knitting at a certain point um late. that was late. the high, really late yeah so you know sometimes we would it would be 110 we'd be sitting in the truck and we would be completely naked just in there trying not to heat case just sitting down and uh one guy on watch and the gun and we would all rotate through watching the gun it was um, this like an actual MLS. and
0: it was this like an actual like base that you guys had kind of no. like, like a little fob or you guys just literally it's in good. the middle of the dirt
2: like a think about base. yeah. Oh, think hasty, about
0: it
1: okay. as a as a uh, base that's about two football football fields long, uh, with a the engineers when he first got there built us some uh, little berms in front of our guns so we'd have a little bit of defilade, uh to protect ourselves so we weren't just exposed. The truck wasn't exposed, and uh, there was uh what eight positions for the gun trucks, Joe yeah alpha one through four and then bravo one through four and then the arty guys at the forefront at the 12 o'clock think of it like a clock you know the, the guns the arty guys were at the 12 o'clock uh four or five guns and then starting at the one o'clock was the trucks encompassing in a complete 360 and then at the six o'clock was an ecp checkpoint where we would let in resupply uh ypg and other dignitaries of that nature and um yeah, so we were basically. It was not a fob, It was not an established base. It was um, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of this giant field uh, where it wasn't necessarily desert. It was kind of of a rolling plain, you know, kind of like farmlandish. Okay. Um, with me at the two o'clock of the clock, there was a uh, a small little. Um, civilian kind of farm town with like and when i say farm town i mean there was six buildings like basically nothing
2: mud huts mud huts yeah
1: yeah exactly which
2: you want to talk about driving over there
1: yeah yeah so uh we have a buddy uh that's our friend that we still hang out with when when we can get a hold of him Uh and um he does some he's a interesting character and we had to go over there when we first got to the position. We had to clear out those, that little town, right? We had to make sure it was all safe and we didn't have any ISIS sympathizers or these. just we had to make sure these people were not going to try and kill us. And we sent two trucks over there and um, yeah, one, this, they two of them dismounted and they were clearing out and our Lieutenant was having a conversation with our Terp, with uh, one of the families and out of nowhere uh a vehicle started coming towards our position or their position when they were out there and it it was unidentified we had no idea what it was and um (laughs) our buddy is just like you you guys you see this like vehicle coming towards us and they're like yeah man like everyone's condition one and they are just like they're just like uh dude should i shoot a red star at it and they're like, dude, I bet you won't. I bet you won't shoot that Red Star at this motherfucker. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, dude, I'm going to do it. They're like, you're not going to do it. And, dude, he pops this Red Star at it. And um, you see our lieutenant running towards the truck. And it was, like, in slow motion. he's like, don't shoot them. They're family. And, dude, they were about 30 meters away from uh, killing a – like, I think there was, like, a mom, dad, and, like, two kids in the back.
0: Oh, jeez. And,
1: yeah. Dude, so I, real quick – When we went to that soft base, Cat 2 was uh, watching our position, right? And, um, dude, uh, they were covering our positions with the truck. And uh, out of nowhere, we were probably, like, uh, I'd say, like, three miles from Topka, maybe. And this vehicle comes careening, busting through our ECP, okay? And it was going, like, 60 miles an hour like, total dead rights. It crossed our kill zone, crossed our uh, our red chem light, blew the ECP. Nobody opened fire on it. And there was a gun truck our buddy was sitting in, and he was reading a fucking book
0: Ugh. on watch. Oh, my God.
1: And on a Mart 19, and could have just lit this truck up and just destroyed it. And it would have been the only uh, like firing of direct fire. Wet. Well, I guess Mark 19 is technically not indirect. It's not technically direct fire, but you know, like firing to kill in in immediate sight in the d- entire deployment. The car busts through the ECP, goes directly into the center of our uh, of our position, and stops. The arty guys come out of their uh, out of their little dens and are surrounding this truck. And it was another family, bro. Oh, uh,
2: they
1: just uh, got lost. No in... idea. They just got lost in blue. Thought our it ECP. was a good idea. Ble- <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Thought it was a good idea to just bust through and. We turned him around and went through and we always joke about it with that guy that if he wasn't reading that book at that time he would have just slaughtered it like an entire family and then just the saltiest dude of all time <laughs> yeah,
0: i mean double. like couldn't blame him though but at the same time yeah, it's like I jesus know. christ thank god yeah, he didn't.
1: exactly. It, you know exactly it's like you know you don't you wouldn't want that to see happen but it's like damn man you're almost that dude and i don't know how you would have taken it after yeah
0: i mean yeah, at dude, the, the moment like i think anybody fun. would have pulled the trigger Cause uh, my, oh, absolutely. my next thought would have been, uh, they're about to explode.
1: Exactly, dude. It must've been a really good book. He was locked in on or else, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That family might be vaporized right now.
2: Yeah. Well, that, that like, that points to the, um, complacency that we were in at that point in the deployment. Yeah. After, and after the, just so the, yeah, that's actually,
0: back. that's actually a good point because I wanted to ask you guys the next thing. Um, did they, so you guys, obviously you're shooting from this position for over two months. You guys said, did ISIS ever zero in on you guys? Did they ever try and do do anything to kind of counterattack yeah. you guys?
1: So we had indirect fire from hasty, uh, 81's positions, nothing accurate. We would get PO, so we call them poo sites and, uh, POI sites, point of origin, point of impact sites. Um, from the already already has their own radar so if they if we ever get any like artillery shot at us or any type of into fire indirect fire weapon we could uh, find that grid from the point of origin and center on from the arty and shoot back at them uh, with the artillery but it was never accurate enough you know when we first got there i remember like back when we first ripped with one seven at that first position we had word that we were about to get ambushed by like a convoy of 30 to 45 vehicles. Uh, it was a huge convoy, huge. And we would have been decimated. I mean, we had yeah,
0: that's a lot of guys. in the
1: trucks, we had like five cans of um, high explosive incendiary rounds for the 50, you know, like maybe five cans of HEDP per truck for the Mark 19. And um
2: we were like spread thin too at that we point. We were
1: very spread thin, you know. We had a lot of dudes. We had a lot of maybe five, five, six because there was like an influx of guys because we were ripping out one seven. But because of the weather, apparently a sandstorm came in and we heard over the talk net of chatter from ISIS that they kanked the whole op because of the severe That's sandstorm crazy. that hit us. Yeah, so that besides close. that when we were at yeah, we were that close. Besides that, when we were in Raqqa, we, um, they were digging tunnels, I think like six clicks from our position, um, to try and set up a beat on us. But no, nah, man, we um, there was so much soft. There was so much YPG at, in front of us. And, so you know, an artillery air. position. Yeah, so much air, so much CAS, so much um, just so many, all the assets of the DOD were just moving and shaking that those motherfuckers, I mean, they couldn't get close man they there's nothing either. they could have done yeah. Nah, they would have got fucking destroyed anyways and with
0: so and that's because uh, i feel like Syri- the whole syria phase for the marine corps because it was so short but also at the same right. time i feel like it was so it's super untalked about and absolutely um how because you guys are talking about all these different assets that we were coming and going with you guys like how many marines were really there was it
2: hmm Maybe Um, 150 max. Oh, total? 150 mags. Yeah. Yeah. Basic, not tier one soldiers, like uh, half of a line company, Cat 1, Cat 2, and then Artie. Not even half of a line company. I think it was
1: two platoons from a weapons platoon, just the 240 gunners that were watching the ECP. I don't think we had any assault men out there. No mortar men. All 81 stayed on ship. 60s especially stayed on ship. Because um, army just, army
2: ran watch at the first base. The half of that other line company company ran watch on the on the TLZ. Yeah, I mean it was we we were spread thin for the majority of deployment.
0: That's
1: insane. yeah. It was a very small unit. Um, Running watch. Speaking of so. speaking of the army, Joe, you remember we almost killed those rangers?
2: Yeah, That's... So another time people blew through the ECP.
1: Almost blew through the ECP. Yeah, they were. Um, Dude, this was so stupid, and this just really—I love the the Rangers for the most part. Like seventy fifth, those dudes are high speed, cool as fuck. But I don't know what company was with us at the time, who we were supporting with the Rangers. But these guys—they did this thing one night. So we were at stand two. It was uh, evening. You know, the sun was in our faces. Perfect time for an attack, and we here over the talk net. That there are twelve Baja trucks coming towards us. In um, Baja trucks, it's like a Toyota Hilux, you know, like those trucks that ISIS uses all the yeah. time. And we are we are prepping, bro. We are like ready. Like this is it, boys. And this is kind of later in the deployment too. Maybe about halfway. Uh, while we we're at the rocket position, this is at the rocket position. And twelve Baja trucks running towards us, and no comms. We had no i like no one had told us they were coming to say what's up, and that same guy <laughs> who shot that red star cluster at that family that I was talking about earlier, they were coming towards his position. And, um, these Baja trucks, they, they're all in a center line coming towards us and we're all conditioned one. Even the already guys have had, has their two forty trained on these guys. And, um, these guys cross our uh, last threshold. So the same dude who popped the red star cluster pops another red star cluster at this guy. Or at these at these vehicles, and they stop. And our buddy Robertson, who is this down country North Carolina Asheville boy, gets on the berm, and he's like, "Who are you? State yourself." <laughs> and you just see two hands emerge from like the passenger, and a guy stands up and yells, "Task Force American! Task Force American! Don't shoot!" And it was a it was an entire company of rangers, or a platoon of rangers, of some sort, uh, some size element shit. of rangers. They just didn't tell us they were coming. That's so crazy. they come into our ACP and our CO's there. And this, our CO is blasting, blasting these guys. Like we could have fucking killed you. How do you guys think when you're in a combat zone, not to talk on SATCOM to another element that you're coming to say what's yeah, up. And they're just like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> we're just coming to say hi, and, <laughs> you know, they get it all nonchalant. And we're just like, man, well, you got to give us a heart attack and shit. But, yeah. No, yeah. That's the sure. type of, um, of war and discommunication that was happening out there between um, the elements, it was just kind of a clusterfuck. Yeah, interesting though. And yeah. how many? up!
0: How, how many rounds did you guys shoot into Raqqa?
2: Sixty thousand. Yeah, this is, su- yeah, but, this yeah, is super okay. interesting. Because like I wanted
0: because I remember hearing stories where you guys were shooting out of the same guns so many times that the boards literally had to be replaced. Yeah, we
1: had to change guns. And check, this is a crazy fact that they told us too. So we shot so much H-E-R-P, high explosives rock propelled. So they have a, you know, that out in um, Iceland or Na- in Sweden or something, they have that bunker uh, where they have like seeds and, um, you know, supplies in case of the apocalypse, right? right. Well, they also, they also keep munitions up there. And we shot all the H-E-R-P that the DOD had. They had to go to that bunker and get that HERP and exhaust that supply and bring it to us because we ran out of HERP That's at a certain time when we were out there. We had shot all the HERP that the the entire NATO had to offer. There was no other fire missions going on. That's because of all the one five five we shot. Yeah, we had to change out two guns. I'm pretty sure. Um, huh. it was a, a an absorbent amount of uh of he that was getting shot it yeah. was bonkers those it's arty funny. dudes probably have nuts tbis
0: yeah and the uh for anybody that hasn't seen because i remember i was my senior year i was in my senior year of high school when all that was going on and i'd like i'd see it in the news every other now and then but if you look at these pictures from that city they fucking obliterated it it literally like you yeah, couldn't looks even like call it a city it was just rubble what was also kind of crazy was a few years later, there were pictures coming out from, they'd like completely rebuilt it like super fast.
1: Right. That's wild. Yeah, I don't know how the hell they managed to pull that off.
0: I have no idea. Yeah,
1: that that whole uh... conflict was just insane. I mean, it was literally just like a a testing ground for new weapons for multiple different countries um, during the time we were there. Yeah. And it was just very interesting to be a part of, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. So,
2: yeah. what about... So, besides all the Artie that we shot, when Artie started to slow down because we were breaking guns or running out of rounds, we had the majority of NATO's air on uh, call, two. So, when Artie slowed down, down, we had, like, AC-130s running. Like, yeah. the, the sky lit up, like, 24-7 the entire time. Yeah, and we high HIMARS were getting
1: used heavily. Literally every we haven't even. We haven't even talked about HIMARS. Had... Yeah. It was crazy. It was, like, a Army National Guard unit. Uh, these dudes, I remember we picked them up on a resupply. Um, it was, these guys were, like, just fat, overweight Army dudes that were living in Kansas, like, three weeks before they got called out there. And they were high Mars guys, and they went... Um, And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to go shoot some high Mars at Raqqa. And these fat, overweight dudes just probably killed hundreds and hundreds of ISIS combatants from their trucks. I mean, we would see them shooting high Mars uh, all night. Uh, Their position was maybe 10 clicks away from us, so we would see it go in the air. Sometimes we'd think they were shooting, like someone was shooting um, indirect fire at us, but it was just always these high Mars guys just slinging missiles in the fucking... Middle of uh, middle of Raqqa,
0: yeah, that's insane. Yeah, Yeah. Mm I remember hearing stories about that too.
1: Yeah, Heimar's cool.
0: Yeah, they're uh, they're definitely insane pieces of uh, artillery.
1: All right, Joe, tell them the tell them the tell them the lion story,
2: the incident, the incident. (laughs) Okay. You want to talk about the most complacent thing you can do? Yeah, um, this, this, is, this is this is the tail end of this is the tail end of deployment. This is we it are. Is, it is probably the last month. It's either late July or August at this point. When's Justin's birthday? I don't know. It's I don't around know that. Top. Yeah. So our buddy's birthday rolls around. It's his twenty first. He's in country. Someone we know mails him a listerine bottle of alcohol. <clears throat> that truck splits the bottle of listerine. Now, mind you, those four dudes are are standing post consecutively, so throughout the night. Um, I don't really know how, or I I don't really want to get into how, I guess, our company Gunny or our Gunny Black found out that Justin was drunk, but he did, and uh, (laughs) he walked across the PAA, and Justin is in his underwear and covered in his own puke sitting inside the truck. Um, and his own piss. In his own piss. Just blasted. He's supposed to be the one in, in the gun, you know, protecting one of those sides sectors that were, yeah. sectors of fire that we're under, you know. Nobody, I don't think anybody heard about it that night, you know. Not yeah. Really? I didn't. I woke up the next morning to that truck sleeping in the middle of the PAA. <laughs> or it was just, was it just like Justin and Alonzo? Nah, no,
1: they, um, it was the whole. It was Ballard too. The they basically vehicle swapped
2: out that whole truck for like four fresh dudes. Yeah, um, they got fried. Yeah. pretty good for it. But no, yeah, it was no. it was
1: it was absurd, man. And um, yeah, and so we,
2: we were like a I squeaky mean, clean platoon too, up until yeah. Like that's the thing. We got to go to all these live ports. We never fucked up. Cat one was always good. We never had any bad eggs, unlike other platoons i guess and weapons at the time and then uh and then that hope happened and that's like one of the most ridiculous things yeah it's
0: pretty crazy Let's to do
1: I, uh, yeah it was um yeah it was our corpsman, and it was lions no one was on the gun and i remember lions didn't even remember and we all love justin by the way he's like one of our very close friends we have no he was so remorseful of this after it happened. He went to every position after he's like, guys, I'm sorry. I could have killed you. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, we're it like, was... bro, whatever. Like, no, nothing happened. No harm, no foul. Like, but he got fried, bumped down to a PFC, obviously Gonzo oh, yeah. or, or Corbin, He got in JP too. He got bumped down And the, the vehicle commander. He, he didn't even drink. I don't think. And, um, he also got in trouble, too. He got a company level in JP, yeah. so he got ranked taken. Yeah, and, um, definitely got
0: to guy. pay the consequences for that one. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely not not the best look, but that was a nice little way to tap off that deployment for yeah. sure. And then I think about maybe three weeks after that, uh, three, who ripped us out, Joe?
2: Don't know either, it, but was that was fourth? also very quick. I think it was, um, oh, it was Pendleton.
1: I think it was three five actually. Three five ripped both us out. Both times it
2: was West Coast Marines. I know that.
1: Yeah, I remember three five ripped us out. Um, it was crazy leaving that position, dude. I felt like I was born there. Like I was gonna say because just... you guys,
0: you guys had not so, moved from there, right? For for like two
2: mm-hmm. and some change, you know, two months and some change. We were there. So yeah. you were just on and that we...
0: two football field sized little spot yeah. for just Basically. two months.
1: And it was, it was like groundhog day, dude. I mean, every day would wake up and be the exact same thing. Um, especially when it was, we weren't doing any movements or any, we didn't have any missions or anything like that. We would just wake up, cycle through watch, eat MREs, smoke cigarettes, sleep in halls, play cards, Uno was huge. We had, you know, and we would just travel from truck to truck. We would have to get in full kit, travel, say hi um sometimes we wouldn't see the guys they only lived maybe 50 meters away or 100 meters away from us and we wouldn't see the guys for weeks at a time just because you we were really? we were confined to this um 20 foot little hole or wall behind the berm with the guys in your truck that's why i think i got really close with um uh, my truck and uh i think everybody got really close yeah i could imagine we were Oh, you're, yeah, just, you're just you're just in prison other. basically <laughs> yeah exactly just to keep each other entertained and yeah um so we ripped out of there three five we went back to uh Kuwait after we flew back from the position we got into that that first initial base um spent we went to Arif john this time and dude when we got to Arif john it was like we were in heaven dude they had a pool in Arif john and coming from the desert and Not having our phones or anything like that i mean we we felt like we were just like uh cavemen coming from the stone ages to you know the 21st century and it was a really fun time i mean that that month back (laughs) was crazy i mean we got everyone went and spent there because we were making good money out there because we were getting combat pay tax-free imminent danger pay so dudes we were out buying, like, the best Oakleys they could get. They are buying iPads and shit <laughs> and blowing their money. Me and Justin bought um, gaming computers in the tent in Syria, I remember, when we were on R&R so we could go back and play. yeah oh, uh, nice. Yeah, so we got that and then flew from Kuwait to Ireland and then stopped an island, had a couple beers, and then flew back to good old Cherry Point. What was it like went...
0: uh, getting to, back to the rest of the battalion and being around all the other guys?
1: Well, initially, they um, initially they were like, you guys are the salt dogs. You guys are the, uh, the motherfuckers. You know, like, they didn't want to really... They're kind of bitter that we got to go do this mission while the rest of the guys were on the boat. We also got to catch up on... Um, the like drama that happened on the, the ship.
2: Oh yeah. the That rest was of really the
1: interesting because yeah, eighty one's gotten to some shenanigans in Spain. I remember. And um, yeah, we got to, but you know, once, once we settled back in and they heard about our deployment, they were, they heard it wasn't like we weren't doing anything fucking crazy high speed. We weren't going out and kicking doors in and, you know, smoking dudes with a the 50. Um, they were like, oh okay, like you guys, you know, you guys got to see some cool shit, but you guys weren't, you know, you guys aren't the you guys didn't push beluga you know but it was cool to see the dudes man we missed them a lot we were good friends weapons company was very very close uh especially during that time that training cycle and that deployment so
0: yeah because that's definitely that's a unique experience because like you guys just watch this city burn from 15 clicks away
1: (laughs) exactly man and And
0: i like the desert or the area it's you guys like, were in it's
1: like dunes, you know? It's like well, it was like it wasn't really dunes, it was like rolling plains. It was like it was like farmland. If you think of it yeah. not really like flat like Texas, think of it kinda like Kansas, you know, like it's like uh it's it, just you flat. definitely get to yeah. elevation. It's mainly flat. It's mainly, mainly flat. Yeah, but it's so not you guys like can Iraq. see a good
0: chunk of the city just burning in the distance for oh, absolutely. fucking three, Shoot, four months. The white
1: phosphorus. Those Willy Pete rounds hitting that city, dude. We would see the impacts from the Willy Pete. We'd see. We could sometimes see the impacts from the Artie, but the white phosphorus is mainly uh, a majority of what we could see. I remember it. And the alum, obviously,
2: you could see impacts at night because, like, it'd be the glow of the explosion in the distance.
0: And would you see like like, fighting from there? Like, I don't know if you'd see like tracers and stuff.
1: No, we we could hear it, but
0: yeah, really, could really. Yeah,
2: we never that close, man. Where we had like snaps go over.
0: Oh right, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I didn't imagine, but I don't know if you could see like any of the fighting from the distance. But
1: no, but I remember during Operation Prelude when the YPG pushed into it was like their biggest push into Raqqa that like really. Yeah, they had like thousands and
0: thousands of people go into that city.
1: Yeah, and like I think like three or four thousand died during that operation. yeah they um, just
0: didn't have the training to even they're basically just throwing them into the throwing bodies at the problem
1: it was attrition warfare for sure they were just sending guys in there and um i mean after that deployment though isis was pretty much sacked like what we did there and what off did there and ypg did there i mean isis you didn't hear about the caliphate anymore oh yeah no they were broken up into different isis cells you know they're still around but they're nothing what they were at the height when it during 2017 when they're you know establishing that first caliphate making those crazy beheading videos making those crazy execution videos like, like that
0: did territory
1: yeah exactly it's just they're not what they used to be um but yeah yeah it was crazy that um it was definitely a very interesting deployment for the main just for to see how everything operated not necessarily because of the shit we did but because of just the whole the way the world worked and how we learned and The things you got to see with like i think the thing that stuck with me the most personally was i was a turret gunner right during these um during these operations during these uh well obviously during the entire deployment but mainly i was in the gun during the convoys and you know we'd get done spelling like for example and we moved from topka to raqqa you know we would see the impacts and the damage that we brought onto these people and i remember when we were going to raqqa there was these convoys of ePWs that were miles, I mean, dozens of miles long, and it was these people that were they had these shitty vehicles, these vans, you know, Soviet era vans. they had their mattresses, they had their couches, they had every single thing from their homes stacked onto the top of their vehicles, bungee corded. and on the top of the vehicles on top of the mattresses, they had their families they had the women the women would be with the children on top of these vehicles uh and they would just be covered in soot and dirt and mud and carbon and i remember i would try and throw these uh people food and like uh you know snacks from the mres and i would throw them to them and they would just give me these dead-eyed looks of just sadness and just destruction dude i mean it was just it was like looking at ghosts and i think that's really what really what kind of struck with me the most was like the sheer, like the sheer amount of destruction that was put onto these people because of their adjacency to ISIS. And because of just the area they lived in, they had to completely move and uh, uproot their lives, whatever small lives they had. Their entire livelihood. um,
0: I'm sure there's plenty of them that like lived in that city all their lives and just absolutely watch it get destroyed
1: absolutely man i mean that was the cradle of civilization dude the euphrates river the uh you know the syria and uh you know has been around since babylon since rome and um for us to come there and just fucking nuke it into oblivion um, um you know it, it was a double edged sword because these people were also at the same time being executed for being christians were being beheaded because they looked the wrong way or didn't practice uh, Islam to the point where ISIS deemed it satisfactory. Yeah. And um, you know, that's a sad thing to happen, but it's also just like what
0: yeah, what
1: there's is just, the, there's cost, no other the cost of yeah. this? what is the cost of this, you know? And yeah. uh, I that definitely was
0: when they were rolling yeah. in there, too, I remember seeing uh, news articles about how they were destroying, like, uh, extremely, extremely old, like, uh, historical landmarks, just stuff from, like, centuries ago, they were just destroying.
1: Yeah, we saw Roman columns. I mean, we saw Roman pillars that were uh, erected in when Christ was alive, yeah. you know, that, that were crumbling and um, still there. But, you know, definitely had some seven six two rounds in them. Um it was uh very just it definitely was an eye opening experience to like the level that humans could destroy one another and it was uh definitely interesting to say the least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then uh but yeah man. How much longer was it till you guys came back and uh you guys were done with the deployment like as a whole?
1: Um, so after that last little incident that we talked about uh, and we ripped back, uh, ripped 3-5 out, I mean, it took us like a week to get back. Well, we had to spend a month in Kuwait and Arab John for warrior transition, some bullshit that they called it you know that the, the they had to tell us that we shouldn't go home and kill our wives and beat our wives and get drunk and buy mustangs and shit like that. Yeah. You know like typical marine corps shit like a giant, basically a month long safety brief. Oh Jesus. Not like they offered like I'm sure I think they did offer counseling to guys who were like you know no one took it. But I think they offered counseling to guys that were like beat up about it but no one no one in the platoon was beat up about it cuz we we weren't fucking no one thankfully no one died that's the big thing that's what i'm very thankful for is none of our friends died you know like no one got blown up you know uh we didn't have to see horrors uh immediately to us um which was very i'm very thankful for but we definitely yeah we just did that warrior transitioning and Eric john hung out the pool drank uh zero percent beers and uh duels, yeah <laughs> and we do we went back to the exact same barracks that we left from and we were told that our barracks was like it was the had not point hp495 rip you know um we were told we we're gonna go to the new barracks over in fucking um uh what's that place over there where three twos at
2: french creek
1: french creek yeah we we're just told we we're gonna go to french creek is it french creek i think so yeah what's Everybody the gym? what's the big globo gym what's the big yeah, globo French gym creek. Yeah, French creek?
0: Uh-huh. the big one uh, like I mean, right next to the P. yeah what's the
1: big one yeah 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 yeah. What's that's it uh wallace French creek, creek? Wallace. Uh, yeah wallie yeah. we, were, we, were, we were told we were going to go over to those new wallace creek barracks but nah of course not we went back to the same black mold infested hp 495 oh, gross. yeah the they catwalk. didn't even
0: finish they they tore down two of the uh, barracks as were towards PT Road. And then, yeah, um, that, that was, yeah,
2: that, that was, was one our, yeah, of ours. Yeah,
0: and then they renovated the one. Uh, so HP 496 was there still. And then the two adjacent buildings uh, were there. Lima's old barracks was across from 496. And then, um, yeah, they renovated the... The one that was to like, like if you were walking in the smoke pit in four nine six and you look yeah. to the left, yeah, you yeah. Uh, that one they renovated and then they renovated the kilos barracks. I, I don't know if they were in that one to the right though at the so time. When you say
1: renovated, you mean they like, like renovated it? Down it. With paint? No, no, they, they like
0: renovated it? it. It took them a couple no of years. Shit. They didn't finish it till it was getting out, but they renovated Damn, that one bro. they renovated the other one and then lima moved into barracks uh on the other side of uh kilo and those barrackses were nicer than any of the other ones they renovated like they, they made them look real nice um and Damn, good for them, eventually That's cool. yeah eventually they all moved to f street so three sixes and you're not on l street anymore
1: all right man you gotta change the name of the instagram
0: I don't wow. know, F Street, F Street sounds lame, though. It's, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> o, it's OG now. OG Street. L Street, bro. Yeah. That's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: It's kind of crazy, but...
0: though, because that unit's been there since they moved from uh, fucking Geiger over to Lejeune. They've been on L Street all that time. There's, like, a ton of fucking history. Like... Yeah, because uh, I know they, Dude, yeah. they moved them from Geiger, and then they were in like the super super old barracks that used to be on lejeune like in the middle and then they tore those all down for like the other barracks that they moved them all into so they'd been on l street for fucking decades
1: that's crazy yeah Yeah, i mean i remember i took an uber in from the airport one time when i was a boot and um the uber driver was like some salty like early vietnam guy and we were going through lejeune and we were talking and he was telling me he's like yeah all this the you know the MCX this is, this was never here when I was there man and you know like all he was showing me all these things like all this used to just be a flat field like not, all of this is brand new and then he pulls up the HP four nine five he's like oh I remember these barracks oh I'm
0: like god damn <laughs> oh that's god that's kind of foul <laughs> yeah dude Holy that's kind of foul I've seen like people Living sent me farms. uh I've I've seen like a ton of crazy pics people sent me uh. I have a pick from like the seventies from like the V during the Vietnam war, but the second, uh, the di- second Marine division didn't do really anything in Vietnam, but I-, I have like a picture of a bunch of three, six Marines from that, that time frame, And, uh, fucking looking old school as fuck and then uh my buddy met somebody that was in three six in the 50s and he's in his like 90s so i wanted to interview him and talk to him but he's just he said he's way too old he just doesn't he's not really able to but uh yeah and but um then there was uh what was the other one yeah, but, the, like, my buddy, his dad was in 3-6 in the 80s, and he was like, yep, I was in these barracks. <laughs> we were like, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. Yeah, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, at that point, man, legendary. The catwalks, yeah. you know, I looking back, um, I was kind of a little bit jealous of the Walls Creek dudes who got the nicer hotel room-looking barracks, but, man, those catwalks.
0: Dude, yeah, I'm telling the, you, that's a whole – that uh, gives you a different. whole other experience with those catwalks.
1: It's, it's so true. It makes oh, such yeah. a difference, man. I miss and those catwalks, out, man. And looking out from HP four nine five into the river, dude, you'd wake up every morning and um, yeah,
0: you'd and see that sunset pretty. too.
1: Yeah, and PT Road's right there, so you just hop on PT Road, and you know when you're gonna get back to your barracks. Oh and yeah, shit and
0: they run past yeah, the barracks, helps. and it just crushes your house. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, dude. Yeah. So I know that you went to three one after that, and then you got out shortly after.
1: Yeah, so I went to 3-1 shortly after that, um, that deployment. I went to the Monitor, and, you know, I was gonna—I was one of those gung-ho motherfuckers that was going to stand for a long time, and um, so I'm like, I want to go to the West Coast. I want to go to First Marines. I want to do cool shit over there, um, and so I went to the Monitor, and I requested orders, and they gave me them to 3-1. I went to Kilo Company over there, uh, did the 13th Mew, I got there and immediately deployed. I didn't do too much of a work. I didn't go to the field one time. Oh, actually, I went to the field twice, um, just very short times, um, and did a couple ship ops, and then I went on the 13th mu It was a nine-month deployment, like the first deployment. Just uh, went around Southeast Asia, went to a ton of different uh, Southeast Asia countries. Man, you got lucky.
0: It you got to do both both sides of the world on the Mew. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I want to do a Mew so bad.
1: What's crazy is I actually, like, went around, like, technically I went around, because I went back to the Middle East, not to, like, Syria or any combat zone. I went, like, over towards Yemen area, and, um, you know, so technically I went around the world from both sides. I went through the Atlantic. Yeah, going that's the insane.
0: Pacific. Yeah, how many countries so, have you been to?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I've been... The, I'm sure 15, you gotta... I, I have it in my, I have it in my notes. Hold on. I have... uh. Let's see. I've been to 17 overall. I went that's to fi- sick. Uh, I went to 15 you know, when I was in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out, I yeah,
2: went I to London
1: and Wales. Oh, yeah, crazy. just a little traveling. Yeah, um, yeah. Super fun experience. Definitely different from the first one. The, you know, mews suck. They do suck because you're on a ship and you're – but it's also kind of cool because you just get to work out and fucking – and you're a senior. I was a senior then, so I didn't do a damn thing. I didn't even clean the... – I barely cleaned the birthing. You know, I'd clean my area, and then the booths would clean the rest. And, uh, you know, I was a squad leader, and it was just um, a def- different experience. It was a nice yeah. way to go out. So, yeah, I did that, came back, and then I got out um, in June of 19.
0: And so uh, – J- oh, what were you saying? Sorry.
1: No, you're good. Go ahead.
0: Uh, no, so I was going to ask Joe. So you you got out before he went and did all that, right?
2: No, I was no.
0: in till twenty. Oh, so so who so you guys both kinda Oh okay, yeah. So Sam they have separated once he, once he went
2: away. Oh, Cali. Okay. Yeah, he stayed in
1: three Joe stayed in three six the entire time. Gotcha, I did gotcha. Until I
2: went to uh, Walter Reed, yeah.
1: Yeah, huh. until he went to Wounded Warrior. Yeah, actually I wanted to now. ask
2: you about that.
0: <laughs> so what was that whole uh do you wanna okay. talk about that? I don't, I don't know. Yeah,
2: we can. That's I it's fairly important, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we come back from this deployment, like Sam said, we get this like fat check and whatever. And I buy a motorcycle. Time rolls on. This is, I mean, probably a year later at this point because we did another workup. I stayed with three six. I got another boot drop. We we did a whole nother workup. I end up getting injured on this workup, rolling a UTV and ITX. A completely my fault, by the way, but that's like a whole other story we could get into. Um, I end up not going on this next Japan deployment that 3-6 does to stay back and get surgery. Um, I get another motorcycle, a Harley, and I go to go to the bar because our buddy Justin that we've talked about previously, it's his last day in the Marine Corps. So we're going to Twin Ravens. It's a bar out in Jacksonville, and we go to leave Twin Ravens and go to Twin Peaks, or not Twin Peaks. What's uh, the Nickel Draft Night bar? It was like a uh, Tuesday uh, of Wednesdays. Gus's, yeah. Yeah, I got, yeah. So we go to go to Nickel Draft Night, and I'm on my motorcycle, and we leave, and I, mean, I don't remember anything, but this is how it goes. Uh, I'm just like the first in line to leave on my bike. The light's red. I'm like the first, the intersection, it goes green. Some kid blows the red light and T-bones me.
0: Oh Jesus.
2: Um, so all the boys are there. Like everybody that we've talked about today is there for this, except for Sam, I guess, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Justin and Rod and a couple of these other guys that we've talked about were there and they helped save me. And when the ambulance got there and I went to a hospital and they took me to Lejeune and Lejeune couldn't help me. And the, airlifted me to Raleigh and i ended up getting a handful of surgeries there i lose my leg um a month goes by i wake up and yeah the leg's gone i got a so cap in, in a my coma? head yeah dude he also, was, he also was he also's
1: missing he's he's being facetious he's missing half his head i was getting was like... a skull
2: cap i said that oh jesus so like my the, the kid blew the red light and uh my helmet came off and like I hit the hood, oh, flew across the intersection, and like pretty mangled. I could drop some pictures in the Discord later if you want to see them. Sure. Um. But uh, like a handful of surgeries, they got to like take the skull cap out to relieve brain swelling. Um. They like start below my knee with my leg, and then they get they sew me up. It gets infected. They got to go higher. Oh Jesus! And like so, this whole month is it's like yeah, it's a coma, but it's it's medically induced. Um. I don't remember any of this. Like I don't. Yeah, really I was even, gonna ask you
0: if, because uh, I first heard stories of, weeks, of that.
2: Even the first couple weeks of waking up, like I don't remember really much of that either. Gotcha. Um, now, Sam, you were getting out around this same time, right?
1: Uh, when the when the when it happened? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I mean, Justin I was, I was Diaz, you're like, employment. yeah, I was done with my second
2: deployment. Yeah. So, um, like none of the boys are around. Like it's, it's literally like a couple of the guys that were able to skate by and hang out. But like pretty soon after that accident, I'm go from one hospital to Walter Reed and that's where like the rehab starts. And like, I wasn't even really out of the brain fog of the drugs until I was at Walter Reed and I was already in a new routine of having PT and still taking care of the problems that have happened due to the accident. Um, Really, other than that, though, man, like, that was, it was just something that happened along the way to where I am now. I don't, I don't really know how to talk about it, other than the fact of it happened, and, like.
0: How did you take it originally, when it uh, had first happened? I guess just, um.
2: like, that's a hard to even answer, because, yeah. like, I was, I was surrounded well, I, by my I... friends and family. I, I had my phone I, and I was able to reach out to people and like yeah, that's see a big thing. see who had reached out to me and everything like that and I was able to like respond and be like, hey, I'm okay. Right. And then like getting to Walter Reed and and having people visit and and starting the road to recovery, it was basically having that community around me was the thing that helped the most. But it was Once I was awake and aware of everything that happened to me and like, you know, the drug wore off and the brain fog wore off and I'm already in a new routine of learning how to walk and getting fitted for a prosthetic, talking to the brain surgeon about getting my skull plate, my the plate for my head being replaced, you know, it's like, I was already rolling, man. It was like a bump.
0: Really? So you just kind of bounced off of it. It I I don't want to say that. Well,
1: I remember because so, Sorry to interrupt, but I remember so shortly after that first deployment, we started this chat called the Chum Bucket where we all talk, and it's still active to this day. And uh, I remember Joe uh, was talking while he was during this brain fog era of him, and he was he was saying like, so "Guys, wrong, I'm a fucking man. lap move and be a green beret, bro. I'm gonna go fucking be a green beret. Like, I don't give a fuck. I saw that one guy that did it with a Nick, bro- with a busted wig." Yeah, Nick Lavery's like, I'm gonna do that. And we're like, Joe, how about you take it easy, buddy? <laughs> like he was just he was just trying to like do the exact same things that he'd always done. And you know, he that it never really stopped him. You know, like, that's incredible.
0: It that, I'm glad.
1: Yeah, it's mad respect for sure. I will. Yeah. I mean, I will say this, though. I love Joe. He's got to understand though. it did change him quite a bit. <laughs> Personality wise. Because before, man, when we – during the deployment and when we first met him, Joe was this chipper. And he's younger for the Marine Corps. He was, like – were you, like, 18, 17?
2: Yeah, like Syria, I was I was 19. Oh, yeah. wow. So, so he was young, dude. And he was this chipper, like, fucking
1: happy-go-lucky dude. And after the accident, man, I mean, he, he definitely matured up, definitely became a little bit more reserved, definitely became – I don't know if it's because he's missing a piece of his fucking brain or if it's because of the whole trauma of the incident. But it didn't let him change that as he had that drive, you know, like he's always awesome. got that drive. He's always still trying to fucking find, you know, like different things and new avenues to make him happy. And, you know, it never let him slow it down. Regardless of how much we try and help his ass when we hang out with him and shit, he's always like, you know, that stereotypical crippled Vietnam vet that's like, I'll do it myself. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. I'll do it myself. Yeah. Don't fucking touch me. Yeah, so, I mean, I can
2: like this road to recovery thing too. I mean, this was a long process, man. So, like, even going from waking up brain fog for a month, my hand's still broken right now. So, like, I have to do another surgery. I go under, have a cast on my arm for a month. I'm learning how to walk. Uh, by the time the cast comes off for that and I start getting more active, they're like, okay, we got to put his skull cap back in his head or I'm going to get hurt. It's the winter, and I'm, like, pushing these guys to go snowboarding. It's been, like, three months. I'm like, yeah. I heard there's a, I heard there's a knee with a shock in it. And I can go snowboarding again. Like, let's do that. And, and they're like, dude, you don't even have half your head's not there. Like, what are you trying to do? During yeah. this whole time, like, all right, I get the brain surgery again. I get the skull cap replaced. I still have another motorcycle, too. Not the one that was totaled in the accident. My grandfather's Road Glide. During this whole time of Road to Recovery, it's in a shop in North Carolina. And I am just dumping money into this thing. <laughs> um my entire plan Savage. crackpot scheme whatever you want to call it is i'm gonna ride this bike again like i'm 100 percent gonna ride this bike and i don't know if it's because i don't remember the accident or what but i mean i still have a passion for motorcycles irregardless That's which awesome. i
1: totally disagree with and i want him to get off the road because dude Cause this kid's just prone to these accidents
2: even even insane. since then and I've showed you in the group chat since we've talked that I've been involved in other motorcycle accidents. He's an idiot. Uh, I, I will say, Sam, it is a part of that lifestyle. It is it is not like if you're gonna get hit, it's when you're gonna get hit. It yeah, it does yeah, happen. Yeah. It happens when you ride and that's just like a part of it. But we'll, I mean, it we'll go back is, we'll go yeah. back to the, the road recovery and shit. Brain surgery, I get back. I I'm living with my mom at Walter Reed. Um She's been like the, my helping hand this whole time. Um, Helping me get to my appointments, pushing my fucking wheelchair across Walter Reed. And keeping me in line because I'm still in the Marine Corps too. Like they're still making me get a haircut, shave my face and show up to formation. And while I'm going to all these doctor's appointments and shit. Um, That becomes a long process, man, because... from the moment of like waking up in brain fog and recovering and realizing I'm not going to be able to like be in the Marine Corps anymore. Like there's not, there wasn't even a chance of me trying they're like, dude, you had a severe brain injury. You're not, I'm not proceeding. They're like, they're pushing me to retirement right now. Right. Um, so it was basically just getting me back to full health, back to fully functional, back to being able to do everything on my own. Um, that whole recovery and time period I spent a good six months of it with my mom once they put the brain cap back in and I was really like on my own I kind of kicked my mom out and I was like I don't need anybody else here um and I was just trying to get out of the Marine Corps at that point um I did have to sign a slight extension I think they extended me for like six months and up until that like I am just doing everything I can to get back to what I was doing before snowboarding, motorcycles, fucking, uh, Jesus, I would go fishing, I, kayaking, everything, literally everything. Um, and I, I think you remember too, like I even spent a, a stint of it down at, back at Lejeune. Yeah, like, I do remember I was down you. for there. I was there for like some warrior games. Like I was doing, uh, the Paralympic basketball and just all sorts of stuff to stay active and help me recover, man. Cause that's been the biggest thing is just being active and doing shit. Keep me not stagnant.
0: Yeah. And how many surgeries did you
2: have by the end of it? So I woke up and I was at, I think like 12 or 11. Oh, geez. And this is like, if you're going to count each individual leg surgery, each individual brain surgery. Um, and then after that, like I had a hand surgery and then I had the skull plate back put back in. Um, since then, I've only had one other surgery and that was, they were removing a bone growth because like the getting hit by the car caused so much trauma to like my left hip, like my, um, I had an emergency hip replacement. That's like one of the handfuls of surgeries that like went on all that trauma. Like I had, like a rat grow in my ass. I knew I was sitting on something for like a year and a half. They took that out like last December. Um, yeah, it's basically just been that shit, dog. He's been dealing with all sorts. of He's stuff.
1: fine. He's but fine. Now it's now it's different,
2: man. Like I'm I'm active now. I I, I work. I fucking got a job. Trying Ooh, to stay out does, of it. He does. He does jujitsu. I did jujitsu. Holy shit! Really?
1: yeah Yeah, i'm not like people up with that one leg you can't you can't get guard on that dude
2: i'm not terribly good like i haven't been able to figure out the point system for actual tournaments and ibjjf for naga tournaments but like i enjoy it that's one of the things i enjoy doing so that's awesome that's possible for me to do uh, i'm gonna do it
0: and what ended up happening to the to the driver that hit you did he get sentenced (laughs) dude (laughs) not (laughs) shit are you not serious? You no, know,
2: not Joe dude. wanted so to kill him, dude. I did, and I used to be uh, really spiteful really with this kid. Really but, bitter. But it's literally it was literally a kid, man. It was like the kid was 17 driving his parents' vehicle. And was he and just like, on I don't his know, phone or
0: something he, or He
2: didn't get he didn't get a ticket for that. He got a ticket for violating the traffic signal. That was it. And that ticket ended up getting dropped. So literally what? nothing. That's hey, insane. so let-
1: Let's be real here. Let's go back to the accident. Uh, I don't want to, it's not Joe's fault. Of course not. But, you know, Joe on this bike, man, he thinks he's a fucking motocross dude. And the (laughs) second that light turned green, he opened the throttle up Uh, and ripped it across like he was doing a drag race. So maybe that kid thought it was a, you know, he could have made it slightly with that red. You know, maybe he was at the tail end of the yellow.
0: And Joe,
1: just being the speed demon, just ripped it up because it was open road in front of him. It's not Joe's fault. Did he have to pay for, well,
0: I guess you were under TRICARE, so you wouldn't even have medical bills, huh? So,
2: yeah, the only thing that really happened was the insurance companies, um, a normal settlement. That's just nothing crazy. And then I'm I'm covered through the military for, like, I'm 100% P&T. But that was, like, that That was was part of the process of getting out, you know. They were pushing me for that. That's mm. why they extended mm. me. They, that was like a important thing.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably good. And and that's
2: something I think. I mean, honestly, if you if you're an O three in the Marine Corps, that's how you should be getting pushed out. Yeah. Like if you're gonna be done after you're four, you should be pushed to the VA. De- yeah. Definitely before you leave too, not after. And how that's long was
0: it till so you were like fully back on your feet doing all this stuff again?
2: I mean, a good year, year and a half, man. It it was Mm. a good year and a half till like, I got a running leg. Um, Oh, so you can still run? I haven't done it since I got that running leg. I just got it refitted probably a month ago, and I I keep telling myself I'm going to use it. But Uh, uh, we'll see. It'll happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible, though, how you just bounce back from all of it. Because I I know with a lot of people... uh, I mean, you, you know, understandably, too, it kind of fucks them up real bad, and they're just, uh, of they go through a lot.
2: And I don't know if it's, like, some sort of, like, guilty thing that, like, we we uh got to go do our cool combat deployment, and my dumbass, like, as a result, had this happen. But, irregardless, I'm not going to let it stop me from doing the things that I enjoy, and, like, making the best out of life. It's not of a course, problem yeah. now. And and it might have been, like, for a while there, like a good two years of, like, getting back to full health and being able to be fine. But um, my mindset was one... always, like, it's just, there it was no other way. Like, I didn't have another option. I didn't think about it any other way than I have this whole time.
0: Hmm. That's if
1: incredible, if there's, if there's man. One
2: thing, if there's one thing for the guys
1: listening that are still in the Marine Corps. Uh, do your writer's awareness course. Oh yeah, 100%. BRC and ARC. do yeah. BRC and ARC. If you don't, if you, Joe wouldn't have done those courses, he would not have been separated. One hundred percent full medical. Oh really? yeah. In fact, he yeah. probably would have been fucking NJP'd. So, huh. uh, yeah. for the guys listening, if you're still in, one hundred percent do those courses. It's it's uh yeah, it's a really boring, not fun time, but fucking get them done, dude. Especially yeah. if you're a uh, you ride motorcycles
0: yeah no definitely definitely want to have everything covered in case worst case scenario that's that's crazy absolutely um
1: yeah dude now now everyone's doing great now everyone's doing fine all of us are out all the dudes uh that are in uh except a couple um a couple guys re-enlisted i think actually just one is left in um mm. from our friend group that's uh in the group chat, the chum bucket and uh everyone's recruiter. succeeding. Oh, yeah, really we succeeding. are, we are.
2: And we all push each other and this this group chat that Sam's kinda mentioned is like kinda help keep us all close. It's like literally all cat one and cat two guys. Oh, Everyone cool. who did this deployment together. We see each other every year. We oh, like that's a pretty big cool. Thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Me and my buddies, we get together every year on the fourth.
1: No, oh, yeah, we do it on Memorial Day.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: We call it the, the bar slink, the chum bucket bar sling, dude. We picked a we pick a new city every
0: year. That's awesome.
1: Um yeah, dude. We've been we just were in uh Charleston, we did Nashville, we did Austin, Texas, we did New, uh, Orleans. new Orleans. Next year we're kinda deciding where we're gonna go, but yeah. Denver. Yeah, probably somewhere west. We're figuring for, it out, but yeah, man.
0: And for uh for you, Sam, what was it like getting out?
1: You know, um, it was uh, so I applied to college while I was still in just because I knew I needed to immediately go into something uh, or else I would have gotten lost. You know, when you get out, man, and you're probably still experiencing this when you're uh, since you're a little bit you know, you've gotten out more recently, you know, you kind of lose your purpose. Oh, right yeah. or I really, 100%. I really identified with the Marine Corps very heavily. It wasn't my whole personality, but I definitely was very prideful of my time and what I did. Um, when I first got out, I definitely had to relearn how to talk to other people that were just normal people and not Marines. Like I couldn't call dudes pieces of shit and pussies and, oh, yeah. you know, just be joking around, you know, they have feelings and shit.
0: Right. And they don't um, get that kind of uh, kind of talk. <laughs>
1: exactly yeah they're just like dude why are you saying that to me like i'm your friend and i'm like oh shit i had the same (laughs) kind of
0: yeah i had the same kind of thing i had to yeah you got got
1: to learn how to you got to really learn how to readjust and talk to human beings again you know because in the marine corps it's a constant uh not really one up but you're constantly having to prove yourself to your peers and to your uh the higher ups that you're you're worth it you're you're not a shitbag you know you you're squared away that you're you have this masculine thing about you that you're tough and you know it just seeps into your personality and it takes a little bit when you get out to you know kind of eat that out of your um out of who you are and it you know I um I think I made a good decision coming straight to uh uh college I played uh rugby while I was in college so that was like a kind of I still got to keep a little bit of that warriors you know tough. I got to hang out with some tough dudes yeah what were you, you majoring know, in? I, I also Uh, Criminal justice. I just graduated like two weeks ago. Oh, shit. Congrats, Um, man. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But yeah, um, it was a great experience. It definitely helped me. It was a nice little... I do recommend everyone, if they get out, they do something with the VA through either the GI Bill or uh, Skill Bridge Program whatsoever. Like, just don't go don't go home and start working at your dad's porta potty company, you know, try yeah. and pick a, pick something, man. Like yeah, use, I tell people that. use exactly use the, um, the things that are afforded to you. And not a lot yeah. of people understand, you know, you get a little class in TRS about some of the things you're allowed to use. Um, you know, 1% of veterans use the GI bill for college, really? even a less. Yeah. Only 1%, man. Wow. It's crazy. That's um, crazy. It's and, you know, I got everything paid for 100%. I was a full time student, you know, um, 12 or 15 credit hours the whole time, just about. Uh, went through the pandemic uh, with college, which was a fucking ruin my college experience. You know, I it, it sucks, dude. I got out of the Marine Corps, I had all this freedom. I'm like, hell yeah, man. Like, I'm going to go crazy in college. And then the pandemic hits and it completely kills the college oh, experience. Geez. You know, bars were closed and shit. Yeah. And it was fucking awful. That does um, suck. But. Just like anything else, man, you got to push through it. I push through it. It's hard coming back from the Marine Corps and being a, a a student, learning how to, you know, study in a way where you're not doing burpees or in the plank, right? You know, so I would I would use that sometimes to my advantage. But you know, if you just like anything, dude, adapt and you can figure it out. You know, if you're if you can do four years in the Marine Corps, and not be a shit bag, and get through maybe some advanced schools or some shit like that, you can get through college.
0: Oh yeah, hundred um, percent
1: for sure you just got to keep pushing It's a grind uh but transition was definitely a little bit difficult in the beginning but i made it work and um yeah man i think that i'm a, a better person for it i think that it'll uh work out for most guys as long as you keep your head up don't fall into any traps you know don't fucking start getting out of the marine corps and just and don't get me wrong, I got out and did my fair share of smoking weed, you know, being oh, a, yeah, I'm back on the block, baby, me too. you know, like all that yeah. bullshit, but don't let it, don't let it fall into where you lose that edge Turns that you've spiral. gained and worked so hard for. Yeah. You know, you have this edge when you first get out, man, you're like razor sharp, oh, yeah. you know, where you're just like locked in, you can fucking, you'll, you, you just have so much self-confidence and, you know, you can really lose that uh, very quickly when you get out cause you're just able to do so cause you have the freedom. But if you can hold on through whether it's physical fitness, keeping up and going to the gym or like, whether it's, you know, doing something that's hard, picking a sport, picking an extracurricular that can like really push you and keep testing yourself. Then you can 100% use what you learned in the military, regardless of how shitty it was, your time was, regardless if you hated it or not, you can learn use the skills that you learned and really make yourself a a very exceptional individual in society.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And
1: that's what I, that's what I tell dudes. And um, it's kind of preachy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm not your dad, do whatever the fuck you want, but you know, it worked for me and it can work for anybody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always tell dudes whenever, because for some people to go home and then they just, it's like instantly getting into this almost like lost. That's why like I went home I was there for like two weeks. Uh, I was already signed up for college. I was like, I can't stay here. Like, it it feels like I'm going back to like square one.
1: Absolutely, man. You know, and, you know, I did something. uh, My one regret when I got out is I didn't I came back to uh, my hometown and I uh, went to a college that was nearby my hometown. I went to Bowling Green State University, um, which is like literally like 25 minutes from my hometown. And it was nice because I had like a support system. I got. I felt a little bit like I owed my parents some time with them because they were so supportive of me while I was in. And I wanted to, you know, you know, decompress. Yeah, be around time. them but for a I, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But if I could go back, um, I would 100% go uh, to somewhere new, and I would go somewhere where I could continue to like keep right. that razor sharp yeah. and push myself in a new environment with no support system, but. You know, it's a give and take. I sacrificed some things like that for maybe a little bit easier time in college. Like I said, I was never a good student. So
0: yeah, that no, definitely I helped wasn't me get through not to worry about too much. Yeah. And even yeah, for but... people that, that didn't do good, like I had a 2.3 GPA in high school. And now I have like a 3.2 in college. Nice. So yeah. Like that's guys, what I got out of in college. Nice. Yeah. Like you guys can do mm-hmm. it. If I can, if my retarded ass can do it, then anybody can. So don't sell Absolutely, yourself short. Man. It's just, it just takes 100%. work and effort.
2: And, Absolutely. Um,
0: yeah. do, do you have like a job lined up now where you, uh, because I yeah, just recently so, got out?
1: Yeah. So actually, I'm, uh, I have an application with the Secret Service right now. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I, did an, I did an internship with the U.S. Marshals, um, in Detroit for the last semester of my, uh, degree. So I'm definitely uh, thinking about going something with federal law enforcement. Um, if like I can bag that, it's a hiring, it's a pretty difficult process. Hmm. Um,
2: That'd be sick, though
1: I'm just, it would be cool. Yeah. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, I'll probably go to some kind of law enforcement maybe be like a state troop or something, do the stereotypical Marine Corps thing and become a cop somewhere <laughs> and, um, you know, figure it out from there. But yeah,
0: it's not a bad see,
1: man. You know, yeah. the future is bright. Having a degree regardless uh, will set you up with anything, even if it's not related to the field. Right. The way the world's looking, having a degree is going to be a requirement to have a job where you're making a little bit more than seventy k
0: yeah. a year.
1: Um, whether you like it or not, that's the way it goes. I don't like it. I think if you're not going to do a degree, you should definitely go to a trade or something like that um, for sure. But yeah, you know, it's a uh, another transition period, man. For you know, another page closed in the book. Just got to look forward and keep grinding, keep the head up, and we'll yeah. see what happens.
0: Yeah, for yeah. sure. And for, uh, for circling back to you, Joe, what was it uh, like for you getting out and then just like what you're up to now?
2: Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> I guess it was a little more hectic. So like by this time, most of my friends that I was in Syria with, like Sam and everyone else were out. Um, COVID was rolling around and I like just signed this extension. I've gone to all my VA appointments. I am like... On my own, living in the barracks at Walter Reed, I got a fucking new truck. Um, and I'm I'm planning my next, like, whatever I'm doing. I didn't really, I figured I was going to college. I didn't know where yet at the time. Um, but I was just trying to get my VA disability all figured out and get out of the Marine Corps. Um, once I got my disability, they ended my contract, like, the next, like, I shoot you not, 24 hours later. And I packed up everything in my barracks room and drove home. Oh, that shit. was in, that was in November of 2020. So I, I did go through like all the lockdowns alone at Walter Reed where I was just like going nuts. Oh jeez. Um, now during that time, my friends from the Marine Corps are all moving and like some of them are going to their hometowns, but some of them are going to new places and a group of them moved to South Florida. So, I get out in November and they convinced me after only like a month of me being at my mom's house to move down. And uh, yeah, so I've been in South Florida ever since. I went to co- I started college that next spring at Palm Beach State. And uh, I've been going there ever since. I should get my associates this fall.
0: Oh, shit. Okay. And, then, and what, are you, uh, what are you majoring in?
2: Uh, right now it's just a business associates. It's okay. business management. I believe. Oh, that's then, pretty sick. Uh, I do want to go to either FAU or FIU for. They both have programs for like it's a environmental science with a humanities background, like whether it be human interaction with environment or there's another one too. Um, something to do with the environmental science, not biology though, because I don't want to like pursue all the chemistries and, and maths that go
0: with it. And what do you what do you do because I, I thought that's what that was, is like biology kind of thing.
2: Yeah, it for most of the environmental science it is if I take the human background though, it's gonna be more like um our human interaction with the environment, like how we build roads over like massive landscapes and just completely move species of animals like that. Um the end goal really would be FWC, Florida Wildlife Conservation. Oh, uh, okay. Um, just getting a bachelor's in environmental science period would really help that but uh i think taking it to that like humanities degree would just be something that interests me more and what's a program and for, what
0: kind of work would you end up doing with that or would that you want to end up doing with it
2: so fwc would be like basically uh uh you a game warden is like the, oh, okay. the the guy who writes you a ticket for not having your fishing license you know right. that's what that is um the other types of jobs they have with it are, i mean something as sim- simple as like killing <laughs> killing invasive weed species in, in in forest like on forest land oh, okay it's 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 something as simple as the state hires like contractors to do stuff like that or like cut down certain trees or like whatever it is, but there's a lot of government agencies, state and federally funded that do that sort of work where I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really mind whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And and is there like a certain park that you kind of want to end up at or, or a certain state?
2: I, I think, I think FWC would really be the end goal. Cause I know for that, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like needs of the Marine Corps. It's needs I'll oh, send you wherever. Yeah. They only hire a certain amount of new officers a year. And it like you go through like a boot camp, just like with the Marine Corps, and then you go to wherever they need you to after. But uh, one of the things they require is a bachelor's, man. So like that's really just getting the bachelor's to go to FWC. FWC doesn't work out, then I'll try and do conservation with a different organization.
0: Have you always had a passion for like the, the environment?
2: Um, as a kid, I always like enjoyed hunting and fishing and like being out in the woods it was definitely more peaceful than being in the city. Yeah. But being in South Florida now, like I'm in Broward County, man, there ain't no getting out of the city. And so everything that I'm doing now is going in the water. All the environmental stuff I'm getting is like the reefs off the beach. Huh. And uh that's it's fucking cool.
0: You should uh you should hit up Veterans Outdoors. He does uh he's in South Florida too and he does a lot of like diving stuff. It's kind of cool yeah you'd probably be Joe's a huge scuba
1: guy oh Joe's really? working at a scuba store right now oh uh, yeah. dude you
0: should uh, you should definitely I'll shoot you his Instagram profile he's uh he would definitely he'd take you he, he, he gets people their their diving certs and shit for free and just goes to like all these cool reefs and stuff in Florida um yeah he's got like all these connections to go out there it's like super cool the videos on his page of uh all the diving they do
2: I'd love to
0: see you put him in contact man yeah I got you man I'll, I'll send you a shit it's definitely super cool um if I was closer cause I'm fucking I'm way up north so I'm definitely uh if I was closer I'd definitely I'd, I'd hit him up and go hang out with him but, better than
2: outdoor alliance I think I just found yeah,
0: yeah yeah that's him shoot him a message man fucking uh I'll, I'll fucking I'll message him too after after this but but yeah man that's uh that's super cool it's definitely. I've always liked the outdoors too. I want to get more into hunting.
2: It's it's things that that drive me insane, like moving down to Florida, figuring out how, like our wastewater works, or like how them building. Um, the turnpike over the grassland is like literally. We don't have a deer population anymore. Oh it's wow! Because just get everything gets wiped out by a car or crazy shit like the invasive snake species that just run amok.
0: Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely, yeah. A lot of people will bring all these, like, foreign species and shit into it. Uh, I know there's, like, what was it, anacondas weren't originally in Florida. Pythons. Pythons. Pythons Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Pythons. And then uh, the whole ant thing, too, or, like, like the, the wasps.
2: The state pays contractors to go out and... Eradicate pythons, like I mean, would not and shoot lizards the, and shoot fucking lizards, like would not that just be the coolest gig.
0: Yeah, why not? It's fucking something to go do. Yeah, that'd be that's fucking cool. But yeah, guys, we've been talking for like two hours. This has been a uh, super cool, just hearing you guys' stories and stuff, and just how you bounce back from everything you've you've been through. It's just like it's honestly kind of insane hearing it all, because uh, I've never seen yeah, you man. around at the barracks and. Uh, just, uh, like, me and all my buddies really like that is fucked. Like, felt uh, super <laughs> bad for you.
2: Well, don't feel bad anymore, man. I'm sad, dog.
0: Yeah, dude, it's good. I'm glad to hear it. Really, like, honestly, I really am. And, uh, yeah, just uh, congrats on your degree, man, too, getting that recently. Thanks, bro. Just, uh, yeah, it's always nice hearing happy endings. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, the ending's not here yet, but hopefully, right. yeah, eventually... Yeah.
0: We're you know, well another... on your way. Well on your way. Yeah,
1: then. we're working on it. We're 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 all just trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, for uh... yeah. Thanks for having us on, man. Oh we yeah, really, man. We really appreciate Definitely. it. No, yeah. no, I mean, thank this you guys really for giving cool. your time and just being willing to talk about all this stuff. Of course, and, man. Um, we appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, well, I guess for uh, everybody else, we'll uh, catch you on the next episode. So uh, stay tuned.
2: Thanks, bud.
1: Yep. See ya.